0: For joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives, change lives. Well, hey everyone, Pastor Mark. Uh, we're going to be in week two of our series from the book of Genesis today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter one still, so we'll get there in a little bit. But I want to kick off the sermon today by asking you a question. And this question we're going to keep coming back through throughout the sermon. The question is this Who are you? Three simple words. Who are you? And I'll make a challenge with this. Could you explain who you are to someone without saying anything about your job, about your family? or about uh, your interests that you have? No job, no family, no school. How would you describe yourself to someone else? I remember being asked to do that one time in a round table conversation and um, just silence. I'm like, man, nothing about my family, nothing about what my job is, nothing about my hobbies. I'm like, wow. And what it does, right, and if you think about this, what it does is it actually gets and peels back the layers to a little bit about deeper who we are. Now I think we all live our lives in front of mirrors. There's funny mirrors. You're going to see the picture on your screen of these goofy funny mirrors. I'm sure you've uh, seen them before, even stood in front of them before. We actually in college had one in our weight room, like a little side mirror. I'm not sure even how it got there, but it was one of those that just made your muscles look huge. Uh, and so, yes, us uh, vanity folks in college would stand in front of that and flex. Uh, but the reality is, right, that is not what we looked at. Um, that was not who we are, right? That was kind of a, a false thing. Uh, we we like looking in those kind of mirrors because they make us look good, right? They make us look like something that we wish we were, but that we're not. Um, and some of the mirrors that we have in life, we we don't like those. We stay away from those type of metaphorical mirrors because when we look back at the reflection that we see, we see things about us that we don't like, right? Some of, us, some of you, when you look in front of a mirror, what you see back in reflection, you say, I see an addict, I see an adulterer, I see someone who's lustful, I see a failure, I see someone who's been abused, I see someone who's worthless. And sometimes even there's good things that we look back and we say, well, I see a mom, I see a dad, I see a teacher, I I see a pastor. But the question today that we're gonna wrestle with is, is who are you? How do you really identify yourself? And then subsequently, why do you identify yourself that way? Who are you? How do you identify yourself? And why do you identify yourself in that way? See, there's all kinds of ways that you and I can get confused about who we are, in fact, I believe this about our identity. Our identity is who we are, or at least who we think we are. Our identity is who we are. This is a definition. Our identity is who we are, or at least who we think we are. Now, the reality is that we are all so vulnerable at our point of identity. In fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but Satan attacks each of us more than ever at our identity. That's usually one of his key points of contact with us is to come right at our identity he puts these mirrors in front of us to confuse us to frustrate us to deceive us in fact he did this very on he did this with eve the first temptation on this earth that satan produced was a deception right and saying to her, your identity is not what God says it is. If you really want to be God, if you want to, see, you, you have the opportunity, you have the ability to see the world like God and to be your own God and to be in control of this and that. So why don't you go ahead and eat that fruit? And the reality is we have been believing this lie about identity ever since. See, we, the way we see ourselves is what we think our identity is. And then out of how we see ourselves, whether we've ever connected this or not, whether you've ever connected this or not, is then how we act. See, it starts with how we see ourselves, how we view ourselves, how we perceive ourselves, and then out of that identity, maybe you never put the word identity to that, but it is, is then how we act. It's, it's our actions, it's our behaviors that we move forward. In fact, I would argue that our identity controls our destiny that you and I's identity and how we perceive ourselves is very directly correlated to our destiny in life see with that, with a confused identity the reality is that our lives become really narrow and they become very limited and when we don't know who we are we struggle with joy we struggle with peace we struggle with fulfillment we struggle with purpose we struggle with all these things that defeat ourselves so i'm going to come back to that question who are you Who are you? So we're going to dive right in. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. You'll see the verses on your screen. Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to be in verse 26. So we're going to lay the foundation. This series, folks, is about laying the foundation. Genesis lays the foundation for our lives. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may roll over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground so god created mankind in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them now here's what's interesting about this passage this passage doesn't tell us some things that we tend to always say that it tells us and specifically, when it's talking about being created in the image of God, I've heard so many different communicators say, well, being created in the image of God means that we have the ability to choose right and wrong, or being created in the image of God means that we're creative, or being made in the image of God means that we have compassion, or being made in the image of God means that we have empathy. And, and I think that's well meaning, but here's the thing as you read Scripture, you can't, like, suppose things in Scripture that aren't really told to us believe it or not, it doesn't really say what being made in the image of God actually means. Now, we're going to get to another passage in a few minutes that maybe I'm going to uh, give a little bit of clarity to that. But it does actually tell us two things that being made in the image of God is all about. And it tells us this, that we are to, to rule over the fish and the birds in the sea, over the livestock and all the wild animals. And all. So there's some type of authority that comes with being made in the image of God. And then subsequently, there's some type of responsibility that comes with being made in the image of God. So we know that, we know that being made in the image of God obviously or clearly based on just reading the text, tells us that we have some type of responsibility that comes with that. The other thing is in verse 27, I am gonna stop and read this again to you. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, okay? So, okay, so hang with me on this. We, you probably know or realize there's a massive uh, attack on one's um, sexual identity in, in our world, right? And so often, I think the Christian response to uh, identity or gender confusion, identity confusion, gender identity confusion, the Christian response can be uh, kind of callous and cold-hearted and um, just frankly judgmental and... And mean, let's just say, what does it mean? And so I was reflecting on this because, like I said, this, the book of Genesis sets the tone for everything. And so when God said that he created male and he created female, he's the creator. And we don't get to change what his creation is. You see how this kind of works? But I was reflecting on this earlier and I thought, you know what, what would Jesus' response to this be? So Jesus always spoke the truth. But then I was reminded of the passage it said, when he looked out to those who were confused when Jesus walked on the earth, when he looked out to those who were lost, when he looked out to those who were hurting, the Bible tells us that he had compassion on them. The word for compassion in, in the Greek is splachna, and it literally means a deep gut wrenching feeling. And so the reality is that when Jesus saw people who were confused. Remember last week, if you, if you didn't get a chance to watch last week, I'd encourage you to go watch it on, on YouTube or on Facebook. But the thing we talked about last week was before God created everything, when he looked down at the, at the world, Genesis chapter one, verse two tells us that what he saw was in chaos, what he saw was in emptiness, and what he saw was in confusion. And our bottom line last week was when we, when God is not part of the creation picture and when God is not part of our lives, the result of that is gonna be confusion, emptiness, and chaos. And so if you're watching today and um, and maybe you are struggling with gender identity confusion uh, or you feel that people can choose whatever gender they want, um, number one, we want to help in that. God wants to help in that. But I guess I just have a question for you. Do you believe that God created you? That God was actively involved in creation? And my second question would be, is God actively involved in your life? Is he who you go to for decision-making? Is he who you go to for identity? Because this passage very clear, it tells us that he created us, and he created us male and female. And so... Uh, Again, with all compassion, and I know so many watching and some others have friends who are struggling with with this, and we have to have compassion, but we also have to speak truth and realize that God created us and God doesn't make mistakes. And so while maybe you're confused right now or you're struggling or you're empty, God loves you. He created you for a purpose and with intentionality, and he wants you to live out how he created you exactly how he created you. As we go on with this, and like I said, it doesn't tell us verbatim here, like what does it mean to be created in the image of God? So I continued to read Genesis, and I think I found where it gives me clarity. And it's going to be on your screens. It's Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 4. It says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And this is the key in verse seven. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now, the word breath, that's the word I just want to camp on for a minute the word breath in the Hebrew is the word ruach, okay? And then the word breath or wind, they all they're synonymous. Breath or wind are synonymous throughout scripture. In the in the New Testament or in the Greek, it is pneuma. It's like where we get like pneumonia from. Okay. You could see the correlation between wind or air with that with that prefix. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the words ruach and pneuma then are where we translate through the Holy Spirit and get the Holy Spirit. And so often in the New Testament, it's talking about the Holy Spirit came as wind. Uh, That's the pneuma or the ruach from the beginning here. And as I was uh, just thinking through that, you know, we can jump to all kinds of assumptions about being made in the image of God that I mentioned earlier that maybe are true, but they aren't what that scripture says. The scripture is vague on that, if you will, doesn't give that clarity. But as I was going to this, the reality is this, that humanity, human beings, male and females, are the only thing in creation that the Bible says received the breath of God. The only thing in creation that received life from God directly. You know this, right? You don't have to have a degree in science to know that without breath, without air, you cease to exist. And so, and that's John ten ten 10, that, that he's the giver of life, that God is the giver of of life no surprise then that that means that going the whole way back that he's the one who gives you the ruach he's the pneuma he's the sustenance of life and then the holy spirit is is the fulfillment of that inter- internally with us if we're a father christ so when i connected the dots on that i i truly believe that when we look at that when it talks about being made in the image of god there's a direct correlation to the fact that he breathed his own life into us, which honestly then should, should make us reflect and think, you know what, then I have a spark of divinity, right? Man, I must be special. I must be pretty, a pretty prized possession to God. And actually, no surprise, we see all that throughout scripture of how he identifies us, goes back to the fact that he breathed life into us as opposed to any other living or non-living thing. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to move forward to Jesus. And you'll see why I, I do this when it's talking about identity. We don't know much about Jesus uh, early on. We know where he was born. Obviously, we spent a lot of time on that. And we know uh, at 12 years old, he was dedicated. Uh, but we, and we, we don't know much else right, about him until it picks up. T- at his age of 30, and boom, it goes right into this at the age of 30. And you're going to see it on the screen, Matthew 3.13 says this, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John, this would be John the Baptist, his cousin, in the Jordan. Okay, So Jesus, not much told after his birth, just a little bit of about what went on from birth through age 30. Boom, he's on the scene, gets baptized, and here's what immediately happens after his baptism as the Gospel of Matthew tells us, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, which is a good thing. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And get this, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. This is identity, folks. God the Father spoke identity into the son, my son. Claiming this is my son, this is his identity. He is my kid, he is mine, he is special because he is my son. And then what, whom I love. Whom I love is that significance, right? That affection, my son, my special son of who I value just because you're my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. You know, that delight, that, that father delight that father approval, that father sense of pride. Now, some of you maybe are familiar with this passage, like, Mark, what's the big deal? That seems like something God would do. He should say that, that seems like affirming. God seems to be an affirming person. And Jesus had a big task at hand. But here's the reality, here's what I don't want you to miss. Jesus had not done anything yet in his ministry. That's why I started by saying there's nothing recorded other than his dedication at the temple at the age of 12 after his birth. And here he is, age 30, there's no one one healed yet, there's no sermons taught, there's obviously no death, no resurrection, but yet the father looks at him and says, he's my son, and I am pleased with him. I am so pleased. Honestly, this is one of those revolutionary texts for me when it comes to identity. My natural bent, for whatever reason, is to get my identity out of performance, to get my identity out of achievement, to get my identity out of hard, working hard, and then subsequently seeing fruit, seeing uh, th- uh, production, seeing goals met, all those kind of things. And obviously, inherently, that's not bad, right? I mean, I think it's healthy to have goals. I think it's healthy to work hard. I think it's good and honorable to to uh, have, have perseverance and those kind of things. But I, I didn't realize until just reflecting over time that I had put my identity in that. And when I didn't reach a goal, then I felt like a failure. Or I was masking other things I needed to deal with just by performance and by achievement and just by getting this done and adding this to the resume, etc., etc. And when this verse really spoke to me and when I realized that he hadn't done anything, it was a game changer. That The father was saying, Mark, I don't care if you achieve one more goal I don't care if you get one more thing accomplished. I don't care if you move forward in this area or that area. I love you because you're my son. I take delight in you because you're my son. And frankly, when that identity was spoken into my life and received, and I have moments just like all of us where I can definitely get back into performance-based Christianity, I can get back into achievement, but then I'm reminded of this passage. And frankly, as a dad, especially a dad of, of, of... boy and a girl, but of a boy in particular, I know this is going to help me be able to be a better dad knowing my identity so that I don't try to force an identity onto him or get disappointed when he doesn't or she doesn't achieve, which is a very bad thing to get into. And some of you watching maybe had that happen where you never felt you measured up and you're still, even though your parents maybe have been off this earth for three decades, you still are trying to win their approval. And my prayer today is that hearing the words of God to Jesus before he even started his ministry, that he is proud of him, that he is affirming him, that that you would hear God tell you the same exact thing today. So knowing our identity and discovering that we've been made in the image of God and he's breathed the breath of life into us. So what does this hold true? What, What does this matter? Well, I think it Involves the two biggest questions in our life. Number one, who am I? And number two, what am I to do? And honestly, who am I and what am I to do? You have to know the first before you move to the second, right? Before you know what you are supposed to do in this world, you know, whatever you get 40, 50, 60, 70 years or whatever, whatever you're supposed to do in this world, your purpose, you have to know your identity. The other it doesn't work the other way around, unfortunately. Okay? What is your identity? See, here's the reality, you'll see it on your screens. Many of us are not sure who we are. So we're doing things that are inconsistent with who we are. Many of us are not sure who we are. We've bought into this false identity. We don't realize that we were created in the image of God, that the breath of life, the ruach, the numa, is within us. And, and then we, and probably some light bulbs are going on as you're listening to this, some of you are like just so frustrated. You're making a good living. You have a job. Um, you have degrees, but yet you still don't feel fulfilled. You don't feel like you have purpose. Some of you are retired and you feel like you don't have purpose. Okay? Well, we have to go back to your identity. How's God created you? How's he wired you? What's his purposes for your life? And then you discover that. And I, my my concern is that I think so many of us, so many of us watching, don't know who we are. We've forgotten who we are in Christ. We've forgotten that some of us haven't given our life to Christ, so we'll never, um, this is not being a Debbie Downer, but you're never going to know what you're to do in this life if you've never given your life to Christ, because you're never going to discover the identity An old man lives alone in Idaho, and he wanted to spade his potato garden, but it's very hard work. His only son, Bubba, who used to help him, is in prison. So the old man writes a letter to his son and describes his predicament. Dear Bubba, I'm feeling pretty bad because it looks like I won't be able to plant my potato garden this year. I'm just getting too old to be digging up a garden plot. If you were here, all my troubles would be over. I know you would dig that plot for me, love dad. A few days later, he received a letter from his son. Dear Dad, for heaven's sake, Dad, don't dig up that garden. That's where I buried the bodies. Love, Bubba. At 4 a.m. the next morning, FBI agents and local police showed up and dug up the entire area without finding any bodies. They apologized to the old man and left. That same day, the old man received another letter from his son. Dear Dad, go ahead and plant the potatoes now. It's the best I could do under the circumstances. Love, Bubba. See, you and I are made to do something greater than our circumstances. You and I are made to do something greater than our circumstances. We're each made to do something so far beyond, so so much bigger than we can come up with ourselves. Because here's the reality. Out of our identity naturally flows our purpose naturally flows our purpose out of your identity. Once you discover, once you become secure, and that's a key word, once you become secure in your identity as a son or a daughter of Christ, once you become secure in that identity, that you are loved, that you are the beloved. Once you become secure in that identity that his love for you is not contingent on behavior. It's not contingent on performance. It's not contingent, here's a huge one, it's not contingent on your past. You will then discover your purpose because you're secure in your identity. See, when you give your life to Christ, here's three things that happen. Three things that happen when you give your life to Christ. Number one is this, you receive a new identity. Number two, you receive a new name. And as I said earlier, you're now a beloved son and daughter of the Creator King. And number three, you receive a new responsibility or purpose. In other words, actually, the Bible tells us that you have royal blood now. That comes from 1 Peter. You have royal blood now. You are working on an assignment for the king of kings. You have a new identity. You have a new name. And you have a new purpose or or responsibility. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that when you're watching that? Do you believe that you have a new identity? Some of you maybe have been a father of Christ for a long time, but you've never really accepted the true identity. You've been living looking in a false mirror. You've been looking at a reflection back that is a lie, a lie you're telling yourself or a lie that the enemy's been telling you, and you never truly received. And you might have been you might be a Christian for fifty years and you've never truly received the identity that you were created and the breath of life of the God of the universe was breathed into you. And you subsequently have a purpose, whether you're retired right now, or whether you're coming out of a hard area of your life, or whether you're younger and you're starting on a new trajectory, do you know that you have a purpose so much bigger than you could ever fathom? I want to end with this, and there's a popular saying, actually, in our our generation. Someone shared this. I'm not as hip as I, I don't know if I was ever hip, but um i don't work with teens as much so i don't know all the lingo but someone was sharing with me recently that about the sermon title or the series title be who you want to be okay uh the series title we have for this for this service or for the series and they said that, that really sounds very familiar with a new phrase that's out there i don't know how new it is but the phrase is this you do you boo you do you boo this was probably the first time i um used the Urban Dictionary and some other references, other, some other uh, blog posts as part of a sermon prep, but I really leaned into that and did some study on that phrase that you saw on the screen, you do you boo. The word boo is a, is a slang term for, for like a, a someone that really means something to you, a close friend. But I just wanna even take the part that says you do you. You do you. I actually looked it up in the Urban Dictionary and, and the definition is when a person wants to do something that would cause them to be judged, but they do it anyway. And as I was reflecting, I was like, well, in, in some regards, they actually gave an example of if you wear your hair in a ponytail and people make fun of you for doing that, don't let them tell you what, how you should look. And that, that's perfectly fine. We tell our kids that all the time. Don't let society, don't let others, you know, make you fit or conform to that. But then what happens is this, this concept has gone really kind of a lot farther than just that. I read this blog post. I'm gonna read it to you. It says this. It's easy for us to get caught up looking at other people's gardens, or their lifestyles, or followers, and to compare it to yours. And the author said, your homework is to do you, boo. Do your thing well, and do it well, enjoy it. Be crazy and wild while you do it, and don't give a darn, I cleaned it up a little bit, about what others are doing. You do you, boo. Bloom where you, and get this, bloom where you are planted today. Create your own happiness with what you have built for yourself at this very moment. It's okay if it doesn't look like someone else's version of happiness, you do you boo, you do you boo, and that's an order, okay? Here's a fundamental problem with that. We are so captivated in our culture now that whatever brings me happiness is what I can do. That's what You Do You Boo is all about. That's what this blogger is saying. If it brings you fulfillment, if it brings you satisfaction, no matter if it hurts someone else, no matter if it hurts yourself or it's creating long-term damage, if it brings you happiness in the moment, you do it. Now, I would be remiss to just say and let that go. Folks, that is incredibly damaging. Incredibly damaging. Number one, that's not living out the identity that God's given us. It's saying that we create our own identity. This is why this sermon series is so vital. And I know so many of you talked to me about last week's with creation evolution and are sharing it with your kids and with your grandkids. Because, and I would encourage you to do the same with this, we cannot create our own identity. We cannot live in this, it's humanism. Humanism is saying whatever brings man happiness or whatever elevates man is most important. And that's fundamentally in opposition to what Scripture says. And we have to come to this point, folks. We have to come to this point where we're either going to look at God as the creator and look at God as the giver of life and look at God as the one who, because he's created, he has the authority to essentially make the rules to the game, if you will, for lack of a better phrase. Or we're going to say it's about our happiness. It's about how I want to live my life. It's about how whatever I want to do. And those are not things that can be synonymous to each other. They can't work together. Now, you might say, well, Mark, that seems very, um, very excluding of people. That's not what I'm meant to be. But the Bible is very clear in the sense that you can't follow God and then do whatever you want. And so many people, maybe some of you want to be able to do that, and it won't work. It's not even that scripture says it won't work. It just doesn't work fundamentally because some of you would say it doesn't work. <laughs> I've tried it. I've tried to play God, uh, have God part of my life, but also live my life my own way. And it leads to chaos. It leads to confusion. And it leads to emptiness. So I want to leave us with this today. The one writer said, bloom where you are. Create your own happiness. You built your own life. You do it the way you want. You do you. I'm gonna tell you what God tells us to do through words throughout scripture. I pray that these are words that speak identity into your life. These are words that leave, not just start in your mind, but they'll go those 12 inches from your mind into your heart. Here we go. You are loved, 1 John 4.10. You of life, 1 John 5.12. You have been redeemed. You are a new creation. You are victorious through Jesus Christ. You have been made alive together with Christ. You are righteous and holy, Ephesians 2, 24. You are an heir of God since you are a child of God, Galatians 4. You are a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, the first Peter passage. And finally, you are a chosen, you are chosen of God. You are holy and you are dearly loved. I pray that you would lean into those words, that those would be the words of identity Would speak, that those would be the words that gave you your purpose, that give you your meaning. Those would be the words that determine who you are. And when you live out your identity, folks, when you discover your identity as a son or a daughter, of the king who breathed life into you, you would discover your purpose. It won't be about happiness. It won't be about personal fulfillment. It won't be about just being true to yourself. It's going to be about being true to the God who created you who designed you very distinctly, who knit you together, Psalm 139, who knit you together inside your mama and created you with a distinct purpose and with incredible meaning to live a life beyond what you could ever, ever imagine, even in your wildest dreams. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray right now that identity, words of identity, words of scripture, praying over scripture, praying what we just said. You are loved, you have life, you have been redeemed, you're a royal priesthood, you've been made alive together with Christ, you're a member of a chosen race, you're an heir of God. And I pray that those words would just sink into our minds, that they would sink into our hearts, they would control us, they would grab on. God, I pray for anyone today struggling with any level of identity confusion whether it be gender confusion, whether it would be relational confusion, whether it would be purpose confusion, whether it would be just confusion, period. God, that they would hear your voice, your still, small voice, telling them this. You are my son. You are my daughter. And with you, I am well pleased. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message.